Hey, y'all. Welcome to the White Coat, White Collar Podcast, where we help current and aspiring STEM and healthcare professionals demystify the career landscape. I'm your resident host and corporate scientist, Dr. Aurelia Whitmore. Each and every episode, I'm bringing you along as I talk shop with active professionals. We're discussing career journeys from white coat to white collar and everywhere in between. So turn the volume up and let's get this interview started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of White Coat, White Collar. I'm so happy to have someone here who I looked up to so much when I worked in agency. I would always go sneak by her office and try to talk with her and tell her how awesome I thought she was. And that is Tara Sheehy. Welcome, Tara. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Aurelia. And duly noted, I loved our late night conversations and, and chatting. And it's so great to reconnect again. Yes, it's super awesome. It's super awesome. So I'm so excited to have you here. As I mentioned, we met working for one of the world's largest marketing companies in New York City, Omnicom Health Group. We work for their sister company, DDB Health. And you have transitioned from agency life to now the tech world and not just tech, but like you are the associate director of life sciences for a software technology company. So freaking awesome. I can't wait to get into everything and just hear your story. <laughs> I'm super excited to definitely a, a long journey to get here, yes. but anything that I can share to help, you know, others. I certainly did not have a straightforward journey. Yes. And so I do wish I had some guidance, yeah. you know, in my career path as well. So I'm really looking forward to digging in. Yes. So let's start with this. And this is an icebreaker I do in a lot of our episodes. I think it just gives perspective to where people have come from saying, you know, what was your very first job to now you're like running the world or something, you know? <laughs> So what was your very first job before ever stepping foot into a college campus? My first job was at a local neighborhood deli. And I am only five feet tall, so I wasn't allowed to take sandwich orders because nobody could see me. Oh, my gosh. And I wasn't trusted to use the meat cutter also. <laughs> so I was the little checkout girl. Okay. And I stayed at the counter and, yeah, rang people up with their deli sandwiches. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> really, I've come a long way, wow. I think you can say. Yes, yes. And how, t how tall are you now? Are you still five feet? Five foot. I might have I shrunk since then, but usually we round up. But right. we, five foot's on my license, so okay. I'll go with that. Okay. I may have bribed them a little bit, but you know. <laughs> okay. Would you say you like numbers and money? I mean, being in that role or? No, I, I do not. And that's, it's part of kind of the crazy reason that I really ended up in science yeah. because I feel like other people are out there like mm -hmm. this, where I... I'm good with numbers when it's applied to actually solving something. Mm -hmm. For example, I was very good at physics because you actually had a problem to solve. I was very good at chemistry mm. because there was kind of context around it, right? right? But when it's just math and it's like, solve this equation just for fun and to solve it. Like my brain does not compute. I yes. hate it. Yes. I can't stand it. So I know science and math go so hand in hand. Yeah. People that are great at science are typically good at math and vice versa. I was not that person. Yes. I loathe math. Yes. But I love science that's so, so funny were you yes. also the person in school who loved the physics problems okay yes like i loved you know velocity of the airplanes yes. and because you're actually solving something mm -hmm. like there was context it wasn't just numbers on a page right. to 
add up right. and divide. Actually, fun fact, I was so terrified of calculus that that was actually, I was supposed to take it my freshman year of college. It was the final credit that I took yes. for college to fulfill my requirement. And we can get into this, but I actually graduated and walked with those credits outstanding and ended up taking them home at a local community college and wow. transferred the credits over. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Really put that one on. Wow. You were like super in avoidance mode. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, like <laughs> I am not doing this. That so. is so interesting. First of all, I didn't even know you could do that. So you grad, you, well, you walked, so you didn't get your degree, but you just walked. And then you, once you finished those other courses, you were able to get your degree from the University of Delaware, which is where yes. you completed your bachelor's. Yes. Okay. So every, I am sure every undergrad has different requirements, right. but typically you can walk with a certain number of credits still outstanding. Theirs was six. Yeah. And so I walked in graduation in May. Mm-hmm. I took a summer class, which was three credits. Mm-hmm. And then you have to check to make sure that your local community college, it, it carries the same weight mm-hmm. of credit fulfillment, mm-hmm. but our local community college calculus class was three credits and that was accepted by Delaware as three credits. So I moved home when I should have yeah. finished that up in the fall, just that one class. Okay. And then my degree came, you know, my formal diploma came in, you know, December, January of that year. Okay. Okay. Awesome. The University of Delaware, you also received your Bachelor of Science in Exercise Physiology. So Tell us about that. Why were you pursuing that degree? What were your plans? Everyone has plans when they start college. I'm sure you diverted. So tell us more. Yes. My father was an archaeology major, and he now runs a paper company. So I think what you start as and end up, you definitely have to have an open mind. I always knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I think Mm. I'm driven by an innate desire to help people at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, but I also love science. So I actually went into Delaware as a biology major, fully committed to go Mm pre-med. And, you know, by my sophomore year, I realized that that may not be the trajectory for me. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of a panic attack. And I thought that perhaps I could still do something like physical therapy and maybe a kinesiology or physiology degree would, would help. I had taken so many of the core requirements for that major that it was an easy transition And a lot of my other friends who also weren't going to go to med school anymore, but were thinking of maybe the physician assistant route or physical therapist route or healthcare administration route, were transitioning kind of to that major too. Mm -hmm. So I think in a little bit of a way I followed the pack, but I still wanted to make sure that I was coming out with, with a science degree and something that at the time I thought. I would be doing and right. putting to use. Right. So when did you have the realization during school that you weren't going to graduate and pursue what you originally thought? Probably towards the end of sophomore year. Okay. The med school classes were really heating up. And as I got into it more, I just honestly, not saying doctors aren't empathetic, but I think I'm way too sensitive to be a doctor. Yeah. I just, you know, it was it was a lot. And I realized... That I also really liked marketing. I didn't really take any marketing classes. I took one as an elective. Mm -hmm. And it really was interesting to me. And at the time, you know, I had no idea that the industries that we work in today even existed. So that's kind of we could get there. But that marketing class almost changed my entire career path Mm. because it got me thinking maybe there's other things out there. You know, and I knew for sure that I didn't want to 
go to medical school anymore. And so I was kind of going to like the next best thing. So, okay, if I'm not going to be a doctor, maybe I can look into nursing. Maybe I can look into physical therapy. Maybe I can look into that kind of next level of professional careers and explore one of them. But honestly, even at that point, I wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do. Right. So graduation day, like you mentioned, you walked, you still had a few more courses to do. So when you finally completed those courses and you received your degree, what was next? Your guess is as good as mine. So <laughs> I I had friends who had just started jobs, you know, in a variety of different places. I actually enrolled into graduate school to be a school counselor, <laughs> which it was so out of right field. And the first day of class, the woman, our professor, had let us know that most of the class lived on food stamps because the profession made no money. And everyone who was there really loved school. And they were digging into like Freud. And mm. I was like, oh, man, I I have made a mistake. Like this, <laughs> this is not for me. And I think that I, you know, I, I stuck it out for a semester mm -hmm. and I essentially dropped out, mm -hmm. which is crazy because if I ever get famous, it's going to be like, wow, she dropped out of school, you know, which <laughs> I never thought I, I would do either. And I actually, I worked at Red Robin, mm. the hamburger place. Red Robin. Yum. Yeah, yum. <laughs> yes. I moonlighted as the bird on weekends. Fun fact. So oh my gosh. <laughs> that was my spring kind of, you know, semester, so to speak, yeah. after, you know, graduation. And I really, I didn't really know what I was doing. I mm -hmm. felt super lost. I felt like I really didn't have a good idea of my options. Mm -hmm. I felt like a lot of my friends were taking jobs just to take jobs and they didn't really understand what they were getting into. And a lot of them have since switched industries, mm -hmm. right? As they have a better sense of kind of where things are going. Mm -hmm. And then a friend of mine started working at Bioclinica, which as you know, was kind of my first professional yeah. position. Yeah. So Wow. So a friend of yours worked there and you like you guys were just chatting one day and you were like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. Like, are they hiring? Yep. I said, that sounds great. Are they hiring? Can I give you my resume? Mm -hmm. I, I will say one piece of advice is never be afraid to ask. The worst someone mm -hmm. can say is no. And yes. I also think something that I learned over the years is you don't always have to interview with the intent of taking that job. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to interview around and interview different positions for you to get just as much information about what that role is going to look like. Yes, that's To make tip. an informed decision of if you even want to work there or not. And I think when I first started, like, I was so eager, right? I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have an interview. I'm going to take this job. Yes. And, and without the mindset of, I really need to get more information to make sure that this job even sounds like something that I would want to do. Granted, I was 23. I needed a job. I couldn't be super picky, right? Yeah. My dad's like, get a job or I'm kicking you out of the house. Right. <laughs> but I think that that's a shift in a mindset that I didn't realize until I got older mm -hmm. that I do wish I kind of had mm -hmm. at that point back in time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. No, that's a really, really great tip. I think I just learned that tip in the last year. Before, I wouldn't interview with companies that I just knew for sure I didn't want to be hired with. And actually, that's how I landed my job that I work with now with Agile and Technologies. At first, I wasn't really interested in transitioning into another sales role. And after I spoke with the team and I learned more about the company and I was just like, this is a really great place to be. And I ended up taking the job. 
ended up yeah. taking it. So I that's really, really, really great advice. Sometimes you don't, you know, in every company and every position and the people and the team members on those jobs are, are all different. So you may think you want to work somewhere because of the title or because of what you may know on the outside and then you get in and it may not be a good fit for you. Whereas you may work for a smaller company or maybe a company that's probably just getting, you know, a startup that has an amazing team and an amazing support system. So yeah, that's a really, 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 really great tip. I agree. Yeah. So your first job was an associate project manager at BioClinica. So yes. coming from working at Red Robin, dropping out of grad school to now working for BioClinica, like how was that an adjustment for you? I mean, I'm sure working at Red Robin, you kind of made your own schedule. Yeah, I'll work weekends or yeah, I'll do this to now like project managers have a lot on their plate. They're pretty much managing the projects of and not just one project. It's usually multiple projects or multiple drugs or multiple brands or multiple yeah. drugs within a brand. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. So how did you transition? Like, how, how was that? Stepping into the professional world was definitely a change. I had never had a professional internship or mm-hmm. a formal internship, really only my business friends or, mm-hmm. you know, my economics friends had those real true internships. I never had that. And so learning honestly, how to write an email, learning what's appropriate to wear in the office. You know, you have a sense, but you you kind of have to learn these things that you don't really think about, which was definitely a challenge. And I I do think that the restaurant industry taught me very invaluable skills in terms of people management, right? Conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. You you deal with a lot of Mm. crazies. And that (laughs) set me up for success and translated well. Yes, But Bioclinica was essentially a... We manage clinical trials, basically. And everything that we did for that reason was super heavily audited. Mm. And so even just a minor mistake, like, could literally mean jail time. Yeah. And that was, like, a lot of pressure mm. and a lot of, you know, the reason. At first, it was great. And it, it taught me great time management skills and just organization skills mm-hmm. and really laid the foundation for just my professional etiquette. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm super grateful for that job. And it was wonderful, but it was also a very highly regulated, sterile, kind of audited environment, a mm. lot of crunching numbers. There wasn't a lot of creativity yeah. in the day-to-day, yeah. which I'm a very, like, I mean, you know me, yes. kind of imaginative yes. and big personality, <laughs> and I, I need that. Yeah. And I ideally would be able to find a job that mixes science, but still lets yes. me be creative, right? Sure. And pulls those two things through, which as we know, I found eventually, yeah. but I had no idea anything like that existed. I thought it was one or the other. Right. You can have this kind of fun, creative job, yes. or you have this serious, you know, science, healthcare focused job where people's lives are in your hands. Yes. I never realized that there was an intersection of the two. Yes, for sure. For sure. That is so true. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because even me being a scientist, having a PhD, I didn't know that until the opportunity at DDB that I could be creative and work with an art department to create receptors and all of the cool, intricate, you know, details of a cell or drug binding you know, to a receptor. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. I get to work with art and help art bring to life science. Like it's it's yes. really, really, really amazing. So 
After BioClinica, you went on to another project manager role, and then you went into account coordinator to account supervisor. And then we fast forward today, and you are the associate director of life sciences at Freesia. So Freesia is a software as a service company that offers healthcare organizations a set of applications to manage patient intake. So tell us a little bit more about your company, how you discovered them, or maybe they discovered you. A lot of guests on the show always say how their companies found them on LinkedIn. So tell us about the company. Tell us about how you got in. Yeah. So I was stalked in the bathroom of my former agency Ah. by my old colleague. Okay. So she cornered me. She was there for a sales pitch that day. She went to work at Freesia along with one of our other colleagues. Mm -hmm. And she had courted me and said, you need to come work for us. And they had been there for roughly two years Mm -hmm. and they had tried to get me to move around when they had moved. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't ready. I was happy in the agency life. I was about to work on some really high science, high visibility product launches. I wanted to see them through. Yes. You know, it just wasn't the right time. And at that point, I was like, "Okay, you know, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'm not. Mm -hmm. But I was scared, right? Because I knew the agency. I was good at what I did. Yeah, you were. And this was the move to a vendor, which vendors are really kind of seen as low man on the totem pole mm. in the pharmaceutical world. Like you have your Novartises and your manufacturers, mm-hmm. right? And then you have your agencies, which are their right hand men mm-hmm. and women mm-hmm. and executors mm-hmm. and true strategic thought partners. Right. And then you have your vendors, which are like pumping out tactics, you know, in layman's <laughs> terms, right? And that's how I always viewed it too. And yeah. so I, I was I was a little bit like, do I really want to go vendor side? It was also a sales role. I never saw myself in a sales role. I was always the first to be like, I am the world's worst saleswoman because I'll be like, it's not good for you. I'm going to go. I'm not pushy, you know. But I had the realization that a lot of what I was doing at the agency was sales. It just yeah. wasn't wrapped to look like sales. For sure. So I think a lot of that has, you have to reflect on your skill set and realize that on paper, what you look like might actually be different and your skills are translatable to a lot of other industries. So I took a leap of faith and I decided to at least interview just to see if culturally I felt like I would be a good fit to just on the team, right? If I was interested in the product. But Freesia, so we are, you're right, an intake management system. So essentially, some of you may have seen Freesia. We're in all 50 states across the United States. But when you go into your doctor's appointment, it's essentially a big orange tablet that you check into your doctor's appointment on. And what my team does, the life sciences team, is we actually sell advertising content within that check-in process because we have access to patients' chart history. Now, it sounds very creepy. It is totally (laughs) HIPAA compliant. We are not breaking any privacy barriers here. I know it's like, you know, you think of something and your phone sends you an advertisement these days. But that is essentially what we sell. So I partner very closely with media agencies, with creative agencies, with life science companies. So I'm talking to a lot of the same customers that I used to work with in my previous role, right? And now I'm kind of selling to them. And I will say that the one advantage I have is I used to be in their shoes. So I understand where they're coming from. And it adds this level of relatability that really made it a nice, not to say it was easy, but a nice transition for me. That's awesome. And I'm glad you mentioned the point that your role in agency as an account manager or even an account supervisor, it's still sales. You're still having to understand who your clients are, who your customers are, what they need, and you're still having to deliver their needs or provide a service or provide a product. And in agency, it's almost like you do both. You're providing a service by 
the communication. But in the medical affairs side, we were providing products, whether it was a PowerPoint or some type of data analysis. We like we were delivering something to them that was tangible for their business. Absolutely. And, you know, in my role, I left as an account group supervisor, mm-hmm. but I was right on that cusp where I was also going to be responsible for organic growth of the business I had. Mm-hmm. So winning new business that our clients had was an expectation of mine, you know, right. which really is sales at the end of the day. Yeah, for So sure. I just never thought of it that way. Yeah. And then when I left, I was kind of like, huh, <laughs> I actually had some of these skills. Yes. I just didn't even realize it until it was applied mm-hmm. in a different context. Right, right. That's awesome. So when I think of life sciences, I think of like research or maybe like you know, laboratory settings, but Freesia seems to be more on the healthcare side of things. So is there some type of like mergence between the two? Is Freesia's long-term goal maybe is to probably tap into life sciences? And I don't know if that's something you could share, but yeah. Mm -hmm. We absolutely have a few things on our roadmap Mm -hmm. in terms of areas where we want to expand. Right now, it's certainly that Mm -hmm. engagement on really activating patients, Mm -hmm. right, at the point of care Mm -hmm. to speak to their doctor about a product. And I think even when I worked at the agency, my parents didn't understand what I did. Now, even less so. You know, they're like, (laughs) she sells drugs. I'm like, okay, we need to come up with a better way to articulate (laughs) this. But at the end of the day, You know, I loved the agency world so much because Mm -hmm. I knew that we were providing materials and content to approve patient outcomes. That truly was at the basis of what we were doing. And that goal, and like I said in the beginning, I'm just driven by like this innate need to help patients, Mm -hmm. really has translated to Freesia where I'm arming them with content to, you know, empower them Mm -hmm. to really participate in shared decision making Mm -hmm. and be champions for their care and feel like they have a sense of ownership in their treatment decisions. And that I think you always need to have a sense of purpose and you need to believe in your work. I think if you do not have that, you are just Just task managing and you're just pumping along. And I think that that has really propelled me really to where I am in my career because I, I care. And I think that's not something that can be taught. Mm-hmm. That is something that you just have. Absolutely. I love that. And I'm just taking a few notes because yeah. what you said about just having purpose, if it's not based in purpose or passion, you're a task manager. Yes. And task managers, everyone gets burnt out. But if you're just managing tasks, like where, where is the drive in that? Like that is going to burn you out unless it's tied to something that you really want to contribute to. Yeah, that you really. And they say, "Love what you do, right?" And you'll never work a day in your life. Now, if I hit the Powerball, which is at what four hundred fifty million, am I still going to be working at Freesia? TBD. You know, and I think we all have that (laughs) same sentiment, right? I'm buying an island. I'm buying an island. Right. Bye. You guys will never hear from me again. But I think. Reality check. It goes back to when you interview, like making sure it's something that you actually want to do too. And and I think when you're first starting out, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because companies will say, well, you need experience, right? right? And then it's like, well, how am I supposed to get experience if you won't even give me a chance? I know that's how I certainly felt. Yeah, for sure. That's how I felt too. You do need to get your foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I'm like, this is such like it's like a lose-lose for me. Mm-hmm. Like you say I need experience, but you won't even give me experience. And how am I supposed to get experience if nobody's going to give me the chance to have experience? Yes. So yeah. I was so frustrated. Mm-hmm. But I think even if it's a first step, right, mm-hmm. and it's a job that you know you won't be at forever, 
at least it's somewhere where you feel like you can be a sponge. You feel like you can learn Mm -hmm. and you feel like it's a really great springboard right to the next position. Now, I think that as you move up, you need to have tenure at Mm -hmm. jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I have resumes that come across my desk of folks who have moved five or six times, you know, year over year. And that's a red flag as you get older and more mature in your career. But I think early on, it's okay to take a job knowing you're not going to stay there forever as long as you feel like it's going to give you a good foundation for that next move. Right, for sure. That's great. That's really, 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 really great advice. And you touched a little bit on just how in agency you're kind of in sales and now you're working on the vendor side and it's a little bit more associated with sales. Obviously, and you also mentioned that you had two other coworkers who went over to Freesia from agency. So being able to make that transition from agency to a tech company or software company, that is something doable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it didn't come without its challenges. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I alluded to this a little bit. I did worry that going vendor side, I would almost... It's such a silly thought to think of it now, but that I would kind of lose my sense of credibility a little bit. Mm-hmm. People would view me differently, yeah. and, you know, bottom of the totem pole. But I will say that Freesia, we are such a strategic team yes. and we are such a strategic department yeah. that yeah. It, it's really not just executional and like typical media of like, OK, hand me, you know, I was scared it was going to be, OK, hand me your creative. I'm going to plug it in this platform and like you're good to go. Right. You know, there's there's so much more that goes into it. That's and I'm awesome. I'm so thrilled that I'm on a team. Not only do I have the ability to build a team now, we're hiring like crazy. We're expanding like crazy. The visibility we have with leadership internally is amazing from when I first started till now. And it's okay. We have to get this episode out immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We are. We are hiring. And it's great. But, you know, I think there's learning curves just Mm -hmm. with growing a team and figuring out, you know, what good looks like. And there's a lot of change. And sometimes it's a little bit of the Wild West. But I. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think the other challenging part was when you work at an agency, you align with your clients on your workload for the year, your scope of work, right? And that is defined before that year starts. So you know exactly what you're supposed to be executing. You know exactly what your budget looks like. And you have a framework to basically execute over those next 12 months. Mm -hmm. And that is your job as an account person to make sure that that gets done on time, within budget, et cetera, right? From a sales perspective at Freesia, I'm almost the master of my own destiny. So like I kind of set my own schedule mm-hmm. and I still work nine to five, right? But I'm responsible for getting meetings on calendar, making sure mm-hmm. I'm having touch points with clients. There is no blueprint given to me right. and saying, okay, here's your executional roadmap right. for the year. Right. I have to do that. And my pipeline, I may have like five opportunities today, mm-hmm. right? And by tomorrow they all go away. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Back from scratch. And so one, yeah. That is just a different business model than I was used to. It definitely took a lot of time to adjust and get in a good rhythm. But the number one thing that I love about Freesia, and it translates from the agency too, and why I was an account person, because you are the face of the agency. You're responsible to work with internal teams Mm -hmm. and your creatives, Mm -hmm. as well as externally with the clients, which also makes it very challenging because you have to please everyone. (laughs) Yes, But I'm a social butterfly. And Mm -hmm. even working through a challenge together as a team gave me like satisfaction. And at Freesia, we sell based on relationships. Mm -hmm. We are not a quick sale. We are Mm -hmm. not coming and purchase from us and you're out in two hours. It is like two-year selling cycle. And so you have to get to know people. You have to build trust. You have to establish yourself as a strategic thought partner. Right, right. And I love all of that. And that drives me and it keeps it interesting. Yeah. So that's so it's awesome. Great. 
I love that. And, you know, just to back up a little bit, even me being a scientist and working in sales, at first I was ashamed to say I work in sales. It's like, you know, I was like, well, I'm a PhD. I should be an MSL or I should do some other type of more high science role. But in actuality, all of the sales jobs I've had has been extremely high science. Even today, I sell an instrument that analyzes mitochondrial activity through two energy pathways. like Powerhouse of the cell. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I help researchers literally make advances in science and create medical discoveries. Like the type of people I work with, it's it's I'm just like just like, wow, I'm in a room with scientists who are creating drugs and scientists who are discovering new different types of ways to treat diseases that were once not treatable. And it's just funny how, again, as we mentioned before, even offline, like how when you're from the outside looking in, sometimes it's hard to see or even going back to your comment with interviewing with people, right? Sometimes you don't know or you have perceptions or you have yeah. perceptions because of what you think other people may perceive yeah. that can literally, you know, stunt you or even internally in your subconscious, you know, cause little issues. And I think just verbalizing those things and realizing that you're in a space where that is not your truth is a good recognition. It is. And I think there's two things. I think one, like I was somewhere where I was comfortable. Mm -hmm. I knew that I would move up. I knew that I had a successful career ahead of me. That sounds, I don't say it in a way to sound conceited, but, you know, I felt comfortable in my job. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was good at it. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I left is because I really didn't feel like I was being challenged Mm -hmm. anymore. And I needed that. But it was hard for me to leave. Mm -hmm. You know, I had great people. Mm -hmm. I still some of my best friends work there. And I knew that leadership liked me and I knew that I would be set up for a successful career and to really take a leap of faith to go vendor side Mm -hmm. and into sales and into something I really had, quite frankly, like no idea what the role even was or the product, you know, when I joined was scary. But I think that your gut is usually right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that gets clouded by other factors and and stress. And you can't always tune into like truly that gut instinct, right? Because there's a lot of other things that muddy the waters yes. but my gut said it is time to make a change take a leap of faith you are you know a confident person yes just, just try it out yep. and I did and it worked out but I think one thing I wish I knew when I was younger was that like you don't know what you don't know I was like so sure that if I wasn't going to go to med school I was gonna have to fall into this other healthcare professional life of either PT and then when I hated PT when I worked at the clinic in college I like had a whole meltdown because I'm like, okay, I'm going to be taking like pond samples for the rest of my life with this <laughs> biology, kinesiology, yes. you know, background. And there's nothing else to do. Like I had no idea that pharmaceutical marketing was even a thing. Right. Zero clue. Right. I'm still even like a freesia. Mm-hmm. Zero idea that exists. That company was founded before I graduated. Like it was out there. I had no idea. Yes. And so... I'm super grateful. And like I said in the beginning that my path has led me here, but a lot of it has just been kind of taking chances and taking risks Mm -hmm. and going where my interests were and where I was led that led me here. But I think it's super important to know that like you don't know what you don't know. And just because you don't know it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. That's awesome. Tara, that 
yeah, you drop gems like I knew you would. <laughs> like just all the time, just naturally. <laughs> if there was one other thing you wanted our listeners to hear, you've said so much, you no pressure. Yeah. But if there was one other thing that's on your brain you want to get out before we end the episode, what would it be? Don't feel like you have to figure out your future today. Mm -hmm. I think I had, I felt like in college and even right after college that I had to know what I was going to do for the rest of my life or where I was going to end up or the career path that I wanted to take, the job that I wanted. And had I done that, I would honestly be in a totally different place that I am today. And I'm in a role where I'm successful and I feel like I'm making a difference. I never imagined that this is where I would end up. And so I think just let your instincts guide you. Make sure you're doing things with purpose and you will wind up somewhere that you may never have even imagined existed. Like yes. case in point, I am your case study. <laughs> and, you know, like I, like I said, never be Terrible afraid to ask. The worst, no, I, am the, I, am a case, I am a walking case study, but never be afraid to ask. You know, the worst somebody can say is no. Take risks, mm -hmm. take chances. Even a closed door is my, I'm coming up with my wisdom. But, I love it. I love you it. Know, a closed door in one place and a setback, like what, what might see, if you're looking at it like two-dimensional, right? Mm -hmm. Like a closed door in front of you, it, you're going to be discouraged. You're like, this is a closed door. You're not realizing all the other open doors around mm -hmm. you, right? And so I think you really, just because you have a setback, you don't get the job you wanted or you don't get the internship you wanted, that could be a blessing in disguise mm -hmm. because it could put you in another path that actually is a better place mm -hmm. than where you would have been. Mm -hmm. So For always sure. look at it with perspective and, Take everything that happens as an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Tara. This was so thank awesome. You. Thank you so much. And again, listeners, thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the White Coat, White Collar podcast. And we'll see you all soon. Thank you. That concludes today's episode of the White Coat, White Collar podcast. If you like these discussions and want to continue hearing more, please subscribe and leave a comment on the platform that you've tuned into today. For more resources on unique career options for STEM and healthcare professionals, please follow White Coat, White Collar on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you love what I'm doing and would like to be a sponsor to help me continue demystifying the career landscape, please visit whitecoatwhitecollar.com forward slash sponsor. Thank you for tuning in and all the best on your career journey. Remember, take the journey one step at a time and don't be too hard on yourself. You got this. Until next time.